Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Amarillo is supported this week by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months. He was just here a couple of weeks ago. I use Pestex because they're locally owned. They use pet-friendly products. And most importantly, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. Ben will come to my door, and he'll ask if I've seen anything that he needs to work on or address, and I'll be like, yeah, we've had some uncomfortable encounters with spiders lately, and he goes to work. He evaluates every customer's pest problem and finds the best way to solve it. So it's starting to get warmer outside, and when the spring weather shows up, the dormant, creepy crawlies are going to show up too. So contact Pestex. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. Today's guest is Bob Altman. Bob is one of those local people who seems to know everyone and everyone knows him, probably because he's had two very prominent careers in the community. First, he was the store manager for Kleins of Amarillo. Now, this was a family-owned clothing store It was a fixture downtown for several decades and then at Western Plaza, which it occupied all the way into the 1990s. And after that, Bob took a role as a local executive with the Golden Spread Council of the Boy Scouts of America. He retired a few years ago, but remains on the board. Now, nationally, the scouting organization has gone through some very public struggles and scandals, but locally it remains well-funded and really strong with a lot of civic support. So we talk about all those things, including his long career in retail and how that has changed in this episode. So here's Bob Altman. Bob Altman, welcome to the Hamarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Jason. It's this is I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to it too. I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's just to ask you why you're in Amarillo. So what brought you to this area in the first place? Well, I was born here. I've lived here uh I'm 70 years old. I've lived here my whole life, other than when I went to college in Austin at the University of Texas. My my family came to Amarillo in 1940. Okay. And uh, that's actually a pretty good story, I think, of how, how my family came to Amarillo. Uh, my dad was from Mahia, and my mom grew up in Oklahoma, then moved to McAllen when she was in high school. Uh, my parents met at the University of Texas during the Depression. Okay. Fell in love, got married. Bought a little store in the late 30s in Alice, uh, and we're running that store before kids. And my maternal grandparents had heard that there was a store for sale in Amarillo, Texas. Okay. A fellow named Sam Klein uh, opened a store. Amarillo was, was doing well. Uh, his family had a, uh, a bunch of stores in East Texas, down Houston, uh, and East Texas, and they thought they'd branch out a little bit. Emerald was doing well, and so he came up Polk Street, 615 Polk, and opened a store. But he he uh, soon missed home. He was an East Texas kid, hmm. and uh, I guess the panhandle people didn't suit him, so he put his store up for sale, and my maternal grandfather heard about it and talked to my dad and said, let's go visit. Let's go see. Let's drive up to Emerald and just and go visit with Sam Klein. And so they came on a Sunday. And they got here early before their appointment. And for some reason, my grandmother, they looked around. She said, I don't, I don't like this. Doesn't look right. I don't, doesn't feel right. So they started out of town. They went almost to Claude. 
Okay. And for some reason, my grandfather and my father both said, no, we've made the appointment. We've driven all these hundreds of miles. Let's go back and at least look at the store and and see. The rest is sort of history. Wow. They, they bought the store um, before Pearl Harbor in the late yeah. 40, uh, 40, 41 um, Klein's was in business for 59 years. Okay. What kind of, what kind of store was Klein's when it first opened? It was a big, uh, it was always catered to women. It was never, we never had men's clothing back in the, uh, early days on, on Polk street. Um, they had as many as 10 alteration ladies. They had okay. a big, huge bridal department, shoes, clothes, uh, hats, um, cosmetics, anything for a woman, in fashion, that's what they had, and it was a two-story store with an elevator. Uh, it was it was a really going Jesse, as okay. they used to say. <laughs> that's an old expression, but business was good. Um, Amarillo was growing uh, in the you know this was uh, at the beginning of the war, uh, but Amarillo had the you know the world's largest cattle auction. Mm-hmm. Uh, oil and gas was well. Doing well. Uh, Polk Street at, was full of retail. Oh, Polk Street like was that. it. We can talk about the expansion of that, but Polk Street, that was where all of Amarillo was. Um, there wasn't that much competition, not like there is today. And so my, my dad and his father in law did very, very well hmm. in, the, um, in the 40s and 50s. Were they looking specifically for women's clothier or were they just wanting to do retail? That's a good question. Um, they, 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 the real money is in women's clothing, okay. or it was at that time. Okay. And at that time, there were several really good men's stores in Amarillo, the Hub, uh, Blackburns. There mm-hmm. were several uh, strong competitors, White and Kirk, with the men's clothing. And so they actually saw an, a, a better opening uh, for business to do women's fashion. But they did... They did ladies' fashions okay. for 59 years. That's tell, what they did. Tell me about your relationship to it, because not every kid wants to go into business with their parents. <laughs> it's an easy path for some. There are some challenges. I, I had a feeling you'd ask me that <laughs> well, question. You know, as a kid, I could say I have great memories of downtown. That's where it was. And I would uh, fill the Coke machine. I would push a broom. I would pester the ladies, the sales ladies. I mean, I grew up in the store um, from early memories that's I was around it of course when I, I went away to college I thought I'm not coming back to mm-hmm. Amarillo to this two-horse town you, I, you I don't want to work for, I don't want to work for my dad you know my dad's hard taskmaster it's a family business I don't want to wear a tie mm-hmm. uh, so when I came back uh, late 74 when I graduated from college uh, my dad didn't ask me it was at Christmas time he said I need you at the store. I'll see you on see you at ten o'clock. You know, he didn't ask. He told us family business, and uh, I stayed. It was the mm-hmm. best choice for me at the time. Um, I knew the business. Um, I was good at it. I liked it. Um, at that time, it was Western Plaza. I spent most mm-hmm. of my career for my dad. I worked twenty five years for my dad, but I spent most of my time in Western Plaza. And Western Plaza was that was way before Westgate. Yeah, it, it was the yeah, place. It was the place. It was the place to shop for a good um, fifteen years or so. Uh, the Hedgecokes were the the built the mall. Uh, were great landlords and business was great and we were busy. I liked the fashion business. It was hard. Retail's hard. Long long hours. Um, but it's what I it was what I knew. What did you study in college? 
I was a philosophy major. Okay. Um, a solid, had, always a solid degree, You know, right? uh, my dad always questioned that. Why aren't you a business major? Well, thought, I'm an English major, so that's... Uh, no, I thought, well, if I'm going to, whatever I'm going to do, if I go back to the store, it's going to be the Ben Altman School of Business. And uh, all that book learning down at school is not going to help me. I ha- why I study philosophy is a, a, a very personal, good story. I had a tremendous, I went to the old Emerald High, burned my junior year in mm-hmm. 1970, okay. graduated in 71. But I had a tremendous uh, teacher who was primarily a uh, math teacher, Dale Martin. But he, for somehow, I don't think they could do it today, he was able to teach a humanities course my junior and senior year. And we read things I'm not sure that you could read mm-hmm. in public school today. You know, Animal Farm, uh, 1984, uh Plato's Republic. We read things that were, I don't want to say controversial, but that made you think. Yeah. And he he made us defend our positions. He made us take the other position. And uh, I'd always had, <laughs> always uh, people laugh about this, I always had a philosophical kind of bent of mine. always had this little voice, you know, in my head of asking questions, why, why is this, you know, thinking deep, heavy thoughts. And this, my teacher, Dale Martin, kind of turned me on to philosophy. And I hmm. go, I'm going to study that because this, I'm interested in how people think and how they thought over the centuries. And um, even to this day, I, I take philosophy magazines. I listen to philosophy podcasts. Okay. I, I, I think that way. Um, it's, it's just kind of the, the way I am about asking those heavy questions. Don't regret it. Yeah. I, I took, I was a liberal arts major. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the school of humanities, and that's where my passion is, is, is people and the study of people, and, and philosophy fit in with that. I mean, that, that fits in well with retail, too. It, you well, <laughs> and it fit in with what I did yeah. with the Boy Scouts and, and my philosophy on that, too. Before so. we move further, tell me what it was like to be a student at Emerald High when it burned. It was so much fun. Emerald High was, you know, it was an 80-year-old building, and it was full of art work that were treasures. It mm-hmm. had tr- tr- trophy case after trophy case. You know, it was the high school for 50 years in Emerald. Um, the neat thing to me about Emerald High at that time down on Polk Street, we had every kind of kid, every kind of student from every walk of life, from rich to poor. It served the every whole city. Ra- it served all the cities because of where it was, you know, central, central Amarillo, every economic situation. We got along with each other. There were no locks on our lockers. I never knew a criminal. Uh, I knew kids, you know, kids that do stupid stuff, as you do in high school. But what happened uh, to me, uh, I graduated in 71. Once the school burned, we had to, uh, they they had to makeshift how we went to school. Mm -hmm. And so the classroom, you know, they put to cobbled together what they could at what was left of Emerald High. But we had classes in Polk Street Methodist Church and at First Baptist Church, and the assemblies were First Baptist. My point of telling you that is my my senior class is very tight. Okay, you it, went through a crisis together, it, right? A crisis, and it brought us together. It, it it's a common bond. We went through this fire. We're about six hundred. Uh, sadly, we've lost about a hundred now. Yeah. Um, but we had a great class. Okay. I don't know if that answered. No, it was, I, it was fun downtown. Um, we just all got along. I think if if anything, we just 
things were simpler, maybe, mm-hmm. um, but I had great teachers. I'll make one more note of that. I remember when I went to uh, University of Texas as a freshman, and I'm signing up for my first classes, and the advisor looked at my transcript from high school and said, and I wasn't at Grace, I was a B student, looked at my transcript, oh, you went to Emerald High, you'll do fine here. <laughs> I've never I've never forgotten that. University of Texas, she knew of the legacy of the kids that had gone before, <laughs> and she said, you'll be fine here. That's interesting. Isn't it? Tell me about... And, and maybe this was your parents' decision. You you were not fully involved yet. But tell me about the move from Polk Street to Western Plaza. Well, I was a kid. Um, my dad uh, in, in my family, I should say, really had three stores, Klein stores. Mm-hmm. Um, Polk Street, 615 was where they started. And, and he had a store, had a presence there, oh, at least 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. The second store that they had uh, was in the early 60s. Um, the best way to describe it now, it's in Civic Circle. Okay. It's uh, west of Georgia. The Emerald Little Theater uh, Alternative right. Theater. Adventure Space. Used to be Adventure Space. Used to be um, Skaggs Albertsons. That right. was what that was. My dad's second store, suburban store, he built the store right across the street. Okay. And so in that in that area back in the – this was early 60s. You had Blackburns across the street. You had Mr. G's. Uh, uh, Circle Inn was there mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wagner's Jewelers. Latour the, had been built. There's that's a, hold that thought. Okay. I'll tell you okay. a story about the Latour. But uh, that part of Amarillo was really the first move. Well, Sunset Center was really kind of the first move retail-wise away from downtown mm-hmm. and, and expanding. Wolfland Village was, you know, all of that was the expansion in the 50s and 60s. And, and my dad was a, a very progressive merchant, and uh, he operated that store on uh, Civic Circle for, oh, at least 25 years. Maybe. Was it two stores? Like he, he had downtown, downtown. He had downtown okay. and Civic Circle. Okay. Um, we operated both. And then Western Plaza, uh, the Hedgecoke family op- opened uh, Western Plaza, planned it, designed it, opened it in 68. My dad was an original tenant. Okay. When the when Western Plaza opened, all of the downtown store went away. Okay. So it basically, we still had out. two stores. We had Civic Circle and had Western Plaza because okay. that's where the business went. Mm-hmm. You know, downtown for a long time really suffered. I'm, I'm really glad to see Beth Duke and her efforts. Yeah, for, uh, for sure. Downtown because I think a, a, a vibrant downtown. Is important. Although we'll, we still don't have retail down there. It's, and I don't think, I was going to say, I don't think you ever will mm-hmm. see the days of JCPenney's and Fedway and all those stores, Wool, uh, Woolworth, and all those retail stores. That won't happen because we're such a mobile society. I don't even think you'll see closed malls again. They're, they're out of fashion mm-hmm. all over the United States. You want to drive up, drive right in front of the store, go in, go out. Those, You know, Sansi here in Emerald, that's that's what retail is about right. now, those big stretches of strip. And, and they make sense, and that's where it's going. You said you had a story about Latour. I know a I lot guess, of people who are fascinated with I that I guess building. the best way I can tell you, uh, my mom died when I was 10. Okay. Uh, my parents uh, built a, an award-winning house on Julian Boulevard, Julian and Austin, um, when I was born in, the, in 52, 53. Um, my mom died in, 60, in 64, and my dad had a lot of memories. It was his, you know, he loved my mom. And uh, 
after three years, he said, I, I, just, I don't want to live in this house anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to move to the Latour. Okay. And so you're looking at a guy, a kid of the 60s and 70s. Think about the people that probably lived in the Latour. It was and new, right? It was brand new. It's Charles Wolflin. Uh, uh, when I was a uh, freshman, no, sophomore in high school, we moved to the Latour. Okay. My, my brother and myself and my father. Uh, my brother's four years older. He was off to call, soon off to college. But I lived in the Latour all through high school, which is, was a very, very strange experience. What was it like back then when uh, it was new? Uh, you know, most of the doctors and the, and the, uh, the ladies uh, that lived there and the people that lived in the Latour didn't look too uh, high. I looked suspicious with long <laughs> hair. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> it, they knew my father, but I don't know that they thought real highly of Bob Altman living in the Latour, but I soon, you know, I lived there. It was fun. Uh, it was different to, to live in a high-rise building for mm-hmm. most kids. People at, you know, my friends in high school thought it was cool. It's different for everybody in Yeah, because I didn't have a backyard. Yeah. didn't have a dog. I did, you know, I lived in a high-rise apartment in high school. It was very strange, but it was very new. It was it was, it was was cool back then. Mm-hmm. In fact, at, my dad remarried uh, when I was a senior uh, in college, and they continued. They bought a new, you know, bigger apartment, but they lived on the 12th floor okay. uh, the rest of their married life for another 25 years. So my family lived, part of my family lived in Latour for, oh, God, 30 years, long time. So I do, it's funny you brought yeah. that up. I, I know mean, a lot about the Latour. It's one of those buildings that a lot of people see as mysterious because if you don't have a reason to go in there, you've probably never been into no, it. No, you probably would And it's just so out of place for Amarillo Agreed. And, and it was and out so of place it, when they built it. Yeah. Because here it is. Uh, Charles Wolflin was an interesting, you know, his family were merchants originally downtown. And they owned that property really from uh, Washington all the way to uh, Georgia Street. Mm-hmm. It was a farm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a dairy farm. Dairy farm, Anderson Dairy Farm, mm-hmm. Wolflin's farm. But they, they started commercial development. And for some reason, Charles Wolflin built this 14-story apartment building yeah. which was way, very much out of place for Amarillo very much because everything was two-story you know level but anyway we, we, we should probably reveal <laughs> that you you ended up living across the street from me when I was a kid and so we were neighbors That's for true. I don't know a couple decades at, at least 10 I was trying to think about that Jason I know for 10 years you were young um, my, my wife Chris and I were were newlyweds bought our first house on Lynette and Virginia Street mm-hmm. Your, your mom and dad lived across the street. It was a great neighborhood, but what happened, I, we had our third child. Yeah. <laughs> it was a small house. We At the time we bought it, we thought, wow, great big, you know, big three-bedroom three house. There was plenty of room, but my, my oldest and youngest son are, are uh, eight years apart, so that wasn't going to work, so we needed a, another bedroom, so... Uh, all I remember is knowing that you worked at Kleins and I had no idea what Kleins was, but I thought it had to do with furs. Like, well, we did that. Because it was ladies' clothing. And so, like, that was my perspective. Do, do you, you remember Amarillo Slim lived yeah, across yeah. the alley from, you know, and, uh, oh, what's the name of the kicker? Uh, lived Carl Birdsong. Birdsong. Lived the next door to us. Thank right. you. Lived a Carl, lot of celebrities in our neighborhood. A uh, uh, lot of celebrities. Amarillo uh, celebrities, I guess. A few lived in that, even though it was a nice neighborhood. Uh, I, I, I want to. It was a great neighborhood. Yeah, it was. I, it was a great place to grow up. Sure. I, I want to talk before we move on to the scouts just about how 
the retail industry changed because you were there. Mm -hmm. You saw a lot of change in Western Plaza, people coming there in women's clothing and large clothing stores in general. Tell me how it changed while you were involved. I'm glad you asked that question because I'll start with this. You know, when I did come back from college, my dad, I don't want to say begged me, but he said, Bob, this is a dying industry. He, He didn't encourage me to come to actually come back and work in the store um, because he, he was, like I said, a very forward-thinking uh, man. Very, He was a visionary and, and wanted to stay on the edge of, of business, but he could see the decline of the mom-and-pop stores um, even as early as the, oh, the late 80s, for sure, uh, in the 90s. Westgate came, uh, you know, Dillard's and the, those big mm-hmm. national stores came. But if you think about not just the fashion business, but when I was a kid, when we were kids, there were probably eight or ten lumber yards. Yeah. Home-owned, family, um, tire stores, paint stores, uh, jewelry stores. Um, there were national chains here, don't get me wrong, you know, Pennies and Sears and such. But the predominance of business as a kid here, really until the 80s or 90s, were family-owned businesses. But he could see kind of the change in that, um, the way the banks loaned money got mm-hmm. harder. Um, my dad had a relationship with Emerald National Bank literally all his life uh, in Emerald for 60 years. Um, he could go into Tallware, tell Tall what he needed. And it was a gentleman's agreement, a one-page document. Mm-hmm. How much do you need? When, when, when's the note up? Signed, no collateral, because of his reputation right. and his prior history. Well, after the 85, or you know, savings and loan, a lot of things. The banks. More regulation, for sure. Unbelievable. Now, if you went and, and borrowed money like that commercially, you might have a 30-page document. Yeah. The way money was loaned was a, another part. The way women dress. Hmm. The way we all dress has dramatically changed toward more casual. I'm not saying right or wrong, but, you know, when I was a kid, if we traveled somewhere, went to church, uh, went out to eat, we didn't look like slobs. I can still hear my dad say, no, you can't wear that. You're not going to look like a slob, you know, when you go outside. But now, you know, the banks, let's go with the banks. They wore a coat and tie. They mm-hmm. wear a suit every day. You go in most banks now, they they have a Emerald National or whatever bank, a polo shirt on. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You know, that's changed. And the way people dress to go to church has changed or to travel. Um, the other thing that was late in, in my fashion part of my career, the computer, the Internet, the way people shop. Think of what Amazon has done to every kind of business. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was on the horizon, too. But... Uh, Western Plaza, in particular, the Hedgecokes were fantastic. They eventually sold them all after about 20 years of ownership, and that's when things went to heck. Hmm. At Western Plaza, not in the right direction, um, and we started the a good 10-year decline of the quality of merchants. And I'm proud to say Klein's was one of the last – we were one of the last holdouts. Yeah. You know, if, if I think in, in the – uh, fashion business, I mean, we outlasted The Hub, Hollywood, Colbert's, Mr. G, all these stores, great stores, long history, been here forever, you know, dedicated merchants, but the business changed. Uh, when did when did you know it was time for a new career? 
So my was it forced that, upon you, or was it? Were you? Did you have some agency there? Good question. My father was my father. I came along late in life, mm-hmm. um, and so by the time my father was in about eighty, he was tired, and the Western Plaza was still open. Rightly so. And most of the, you know, my dad, most a lot of his employees, some of them worked for my father forty years. Hmm. It was a family business. It was different. It was fun because we. But those ladies were getting long in the tooth also. My dad was getting tired. And so in 96, he decided, Bob, I'm going to close the store. Now, if you want to keep just the fur department, the co- you know coats and furs and, and some of that were a very profitable part of our business. But the general clothing part wasn't as profitable, dresses and suits and just, you know, sportswear and shoes and all that. He was tired and, and not feeling good. And so he closed the big part of the store. I kept the fur department, the storage, the cleaning, the leathers and regular coats. And I did it for three years. I, mm-hmm. I That was, my father had a 20-year lease and two five years. And I was on, I want, part of my goal was to wear out the last five years of the lease to honor my dad's lease with the landlords and I did that but the last those last three years on my own uh, were not good yeah uh, economically I had three kids at home uh, my income was going the wrong way okay and so I was I had been a long time uh, scouter scout leader uh, I was a board member and I was approached in early uh, 1999 by my scout professional that I dealt with, who was the number two at that time, and he said, Bob, I know things aren't, he knew me real well. Things aren't going great for you here at the store. Our development director has just resigned. This was a position that was funded by Mrs. Harrington for a five years, totally paid for, because she she believed in endowments. She, <laughs> she believed in really having nonprofits of all kinds being able to be sustainable and to do that, you need an endowment. She dedicated money to um, to build her endowment, to have a development director, to, to have a stronger financial footing. And he, this guy uh, said, you fit that bill. Hmm. You're not afraid of, you're a salesman. Yeah. You, know, you know all the people in Amarillo. You know the players. You love scouting. Go talk to this scout executive. Just, just go talk to him. See what the job might entail. So I went. I had nothing to lose because I thought, at that time, guys, this is not going good. I'm going to end up having a, writing a resume and go to work for J.C. Penney's, and God knows where they're going to, you know, be assistant store manager at Timbuktu. Yeah. And I could, you know, I'm not saying that's not what I wanted to do, but I very much wanted to stay in Amarillo and uh, see if I could stay. But I went to talk to the scout executive, and he said, write a resume, I go, Resume. I went to work right after college. I worked for my family. What's a resume? There's one I've item been, on it, right? Well, in in my whole in my whole lifetime, I only worked for four different people. I, I work. I do papers. I worked for the YMCA as a lifeguard. I worked for my father for 25 years, and I worked for the Scouts 20. So wow. I'm a kind of a loyal employee. But I, I feel made something up resume and references and this and that. I got interviewed by a couple of board members, uh, Ron Boyd, I remember in particular. I'm a fellow board member. It's very strange. Mark White, uh, I don't remember. Anyway, a couple of days later, 
Bob McGinnis, the scout executive at that time, said, if you want the job, it's yours. Hmm. And I thought long and hard about it. And this was uh, late February of 1999. I said, I'm tired of retail. Mm -hmm. It's not going the right way. I think this is a passion. I love scouting. Um, This is a, you know, I was 45 at the time. I thought, this is a second chance. This is a a chance um, to maybe have a a retirement fund, you know, a a defined pension, you know, uh, have a steady income and, and go from there. Um, Jason was the best. It, those 20 years I worked for the Boy Scouts were my most productive uh, years. Not to say I wasn't proud of what I did at Klein's, um, but selling coats and, and clothing is not the same as uh, working toward the future mm-hmm. uh, with kids through the scouting program, you know, families and all that. And that development work uh, suited me just really to a T. I was very lucky. You know, I really do believe God opens a door, closes a door. Mm-hmm. Um, they hired me for the development director started, uh, in March of 99, the way scouting works, uh, the, the scout executive works for four or five years. Then they bring in a new one. Uh, the man that hired me retired Emerald, but he soon retired. They brought in another guy from, uh, from Kentucky, a guy named Barry Oxley. And, uh, within a, another year in, uh, or early 2002, he called me in his office and said, you're going to be my assistant scout executive a job I held for 18 years. Okay. Uh, really the CFO in, uh, I was responsible for the funding, uh, not by myself, but to, right, you know, right. implement so many things, secure funding, uh, endowment, United Way, uh, uh, sustaining membership or Good Scout Lunch, our sporting class tournament, or pop, I was the popcorn colonel. Uh, made sure we, but uh, I'm proud to say our, our council here, the Golden Spread Council is exceedingly well funded. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took a lot of work. Uh, but that work really suited me. But I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have been as successful if I hadn't done the retail. Hmm. If I hadn't have been in Western Plaza. If I hadn't also been on the Y board. If I hadn't been connected with all the players, all the people in Amarillo, all the businesses. And, and uh, those skills were invaluable to me. Well, and you saw a lot of changes in your first career with with women's clothing. But the culture has changed a lot around the scouts, too. And I imagine that there are some challenges now just in thinking about young people, teenagers, you know, trying to get them off their phones and to go do scout stuff, which is action oriented. Tremendous, tremendous challenges. Um, Of course, you know, I'll be frank with you. The Boy Scouts have had. Uh, the last 20 years have been under fire. Um, our leadership standards changed, um, which is which is good. Um, you know, now we have girls in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Eagle Scout girls. We should have. Uh, uh, I and it took me a long time to come around to this. Most of the uh, the world has scouting. It's been co-ed everywhere else. Just not here. America wasn't ready for that, huh. but we are now. You know, we weren't we weren't quite there. That's been a big change. Of course, the Boy Scouts in the last few years, have gone through bankruptcy, mm-hmm. which uh, was was hard. No kid, nobody should ever harm a child. I'm not, and the Boy Scouts took responsibility for that. But uh, that was hard. Mm-hmm. That was a hard thing for us to go through. And it, 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 it hurt us in, in a lot of ways uh, with our relationships with churches and our partners and, and funders. And it did. Um, another thing that scouting has gone through, too, is COVID. Yeah. And uh, that COVID's changed 
so many things with families and going out and doing things and put, even Kids Inc. or any of the sports, any of the youth, 4-H, all of that, have to now have to rebound from staying at home, having your kids at home, not going out, not doing things, to going back to a new normal of, uh, of being outside. The Internet and the, your cell phone and all that. I don't. I, kids need to be outside, I, mm-hmm. you know. And scouting's not for everybody, but I really think kids need. I'm kind of changing gears. Um, to to be well rounded, they need to do sports or music or art or uh, 4-H. A lot of kids have very few adults in their life. This is, and I've I've witnessed this through scouting. They need adults from all kinds of walks of life to pat them on the back. Tell them what the rules are. Tell them how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Encourage them. And you can't get that on the internet or mm-hmm. on a computer. Um, you got to get out there in the field, uh, in a tent, around a campfire, uh, between the lines on a baseball diamond, uh, raising a horse, whatever it is. You need that structure. You need those rules. There's nothing more important than school, don't get me wrong. But I think you need a lot of examples, a lot of adult mentorship and, and examples to figure out who you are and what you want to do. They, too, the parents have to give up the cell phone, oh, exactly. the yeah. TV, the whatever. We're all super busy. But uh, they need to invest some time with their kids and let their kids do these other things. Whatever it is, let them try. It's one of the things Scouts does. Um, Scouts, have, you know, when you're a Boy Scout, there's 130 merit badges, mm-hmm. and so many kids tie in their vocation, their hobby, their whatever. Uh, you get introduced to religion, uh, understand citizenship. School is fantastic, but the the real world things aren't all taught in school. Mm-hmm. The kids need that, yeah, and they need they need that uh, they need that opportunity. So, are you are you full on retired at this point? I retired. Uh, I retired officially in 2019. Okay. Um, <laughs> it wasn't once a officially. COVID. I don't get a paycheck. I get I get a retirement. Um, I retired uh, on June first uh, after 20 years. I'm still on the board at the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I will I will pass away as a Boy Scout. I, I believe in Boy Scouting. My job on the uh, on the council now. I'm the uh, alumni and relationship chairman. Okay, fancy word. I'm the cheerleader for scouting. I want to hear since you're on the. The downside of two different careers in Amarillo. Yeah. You know, your parents just kind of ended up here because there was a business. Yeah. But then your family planted roots here. And, yeah. and I wonder, like, why did you stay here? Instead of, you know, no. getting rid of the store and going Great someplace question. else. And I thought about it quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I told you, I, I didn't realize it at the time. Best thing ever happened to me was to come back to Amarillo and stay here. Unfortunately, my wife is from here. Mm-hmm. Um, we married. We had three kids. We raised our kids here. Emerald has been was so good to my family and, and continues to be good. I had an opportunity through Scouts, um, oh, many years into my career, to take a, a promotion um, in Austin, where my school is, where I love, you know. And I thought long and hard about it. Emerald, I'm just I love Emerald. It's where I'm from. I'm comfortable. Our biggest asset, we have wonderful people. This is a great community with great people. At the time I was offered a promotion to go away, she had just gotten to be the principal at Ridgecrest and was happy as a lark. This was, you know, and she loved Ridgecrest. She did that a long time. She did Margaret Wills a long time. Um, 
I worked for the scouts here. The board knew me. Um, I was successful. I was happy. I didn't need to be a boss. I had two distinct careers. You know, a lot of people don't, you know, I guess these kids now, they tell them you're going to have six or seven careers. I was fortunate enough to do 25 with my family business and 20 with the scouts. And um, I'm not going anywhere. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by StoryBridge, an early childhood literacy program. In Potter and Randall counties, less than half of the kids entering kindergarten each year are ready to learn to read. Now, that's an educational deficit that starts at age five, but it negatively affects a child's performance all the way through school. Now, locally, StoryBridge has partnered with the Dolly Parton Imagination Library to address this problem. Thanks to generous local donors, more than 6,000 local kids under the age of five are now registered and receive a new age-appropriate book in the mail every month at no cost to their families. And StoryBridge wants to expand this program. They want to reach more than 10,000 area children. So that's where you can come in. To give or to get involved, visit storybridgeama.org to learn more. That's storybridgeama.org. Okay, I'm back with Bob Altman. Bob, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and it's known for its collection, but listeners may not know that it also maintains local historical sites, including the Adobe Walls 1874 battlefield in Hutchinson County. That event led to the Red River War of 1874 and 1875 and the final relocation of Southern Plains Indians to reservations in Oklahoma. And the 150th anniversary of that battle is actually this summer. It's a big milestone. So you can learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Okay, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I have grandkids here. You know, I want it to be progress. I want it to grow. You know, I want it to stay uh, that conservative, that, you know, traditional values. Uh, But in a modern sense, uh, you know, you can't stop progress. But I want it to be a comfortable city, a a city that people are proud of, that businesses want to come to, uh, a safe city. I want I want it to be as good for, for me growing up here uh, as, as it was for my children and as it is for my grandchildren. You get to a certain age, you're thinking about your grandkids mm-hmm. and, and what kind of, I don't know what kind of world I'm handing down to them. I wish it was a, a better. I'm sure my parents maybe thought the same thing, but uh, but I hope, you know, Emerald is, is, is as safe a place and, and progressive, a friendly place to live where you can know your neighbors and know a lot of people. And I want all that to, to continue. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? I thought about that. I, I, we have too much poverty in this hmm. town. Uh, I know that may, you know, I go back to my, my, my humanitarian roots and my scout roots. And uh, uh, my wife, uh, my son's actually the president of Meals on Wheels. And my, my wife has a route. Um, I've helped snack pack. Um, so I see I, there's too many people living uh, in pretty dire situation. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to go very far in Emerald. A lot of people don't see it because they don't want to see it. But there's, uh, there's a pretty good uh, amount of poverty and people really living uh, paycheck to paycheck or Social Security or whatever um, in some not so good uh, conditions. If I could change anything, it would be to raise the standard of living for a lot of people. A lot of people have a great standard of living. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great jobs. But there's a lot of people uh, uh, living in, in hard situations in Emerald. And I wish 
that wasn't so. I do too. I wish there was a, a magic wand. To well, no magic wand, but we all work. You know, there's a lot of us. Uh, a lot of things working on that, and a lot of churches in United mm-hmm. Way, and a lot of nonprofits. This town has such great nonprofits that are all working to make Amarillo a better place, and so that's a that's that's something we all have to work on. What does this area not have enough of? Trees, water, <laughs> the mountains, <laughs> the things you go visit on vacation. Uh, you know the things. Um, well, I don't know. We need a Trader Joe's. I don't you know. <laughs> you, Costco, maybe Aldi's. We need, you sound uh, like all the 30 year We need H-E-B, here. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, we're going to need some of it to keep younger people to, you know, there's a there's a pretty good uh, brain drain here. Mm-hmm. One of the things we need to figure out is how to keep more, you know, WTAC, we're putting out some smart kids. This this town has smart people, young people, and how do we keep keep our share of them here? And so you have to... Maybe you have to have some of those things to keep them here, truly. Other than the Scouts, what's one local nonprofit you personally appreciate? Um, I'm going to say our Amarillo Public Library System. Okay. Um, I've been on the Friends of the Library Board, um, I guess it's my eighth or ninth year. Um, A lot of people haven't stepped foot in our public library, uh, uh, although our library system has a tremendous amount of people that come through. We have tremendous library system here the library of old is not the library of today um, all the things that the library our library is doing today is astounding mm-hmm. and i would urge people to go see go visit a, a nearby library and just see you know from uh, helping people become citizens uh maker space uh, i think everything most every kind of success stems through literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a tremendous library system here. And I would urge people not to take that for granted. Well, you're, with, you're preaching to the choir. So what's your favorite local coffee shop? I'm a, I'm a roasters guy. Are you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Craig, way back, you know, I like a good strong cup of coffee. And the, that's just where I go. It's, I mean, it's the, it's the original. It's, he's the original uh, other than uh, your drip coffee, your yeah, fold, at home. Other than your Maxwell House and your Folgers, he's kind of the, he was you know that was the first one yeah. that really introduced you know good coffee here, better coffee. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Jorge's. I, Jorge's. Yeah, right. I, I, I you know there's a I like um, if you can look at me I I don't miss many meals. Did you used to go to the original Jorge's when it was oh. in the old uh, big cheese pizza on Forty Fifth? Long time ago. But uh, early, early before he was brand out. new then. But uh, I like I like good Mexican food. Mm-hmm. I think he's con- it's consistent. They're busy. Uh, they do a good job. Um, there's a lot of good places to eat. But uh, if that if you're going to ask me my go to, yeah, that's where I'm it's going. consistently good. That's where I'm going. Okay, what's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? Oh, I, I, that if you were t- t- trying to tell somebody that's not from here, how do you tell them? Texas friendly. How do you tell them panhandle spirit? How do you tell them um, what we really have in the people here? Um, that's hard. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's our that's our number one asset. The, the variety of people, uh, their attitude toward each other. I've traveled. I've been a lot of places, met a lot of people. And there's a lot of great p- places. But this place has some really tremendous people. Last question. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? <laughs> to personally go eat there? Long for for whatever, well, whatever reason. Now, I'll tell you, I know Danny and Bobby Lee very well uh-huh. uh, through the Boy Scouts. They did a lot of the catering 
they're very community-minded guys, uh, very successful. Um, when I was in Scouts, probably six, okay. eight years ago, going to visit Danny to set up, you know, one of uh, an event for us. Probably the last time I was at and the that, Texas. That's still fun to just go have oh, a meeting no, out there. I don't know if they still have the rattlesnake. You know, yeah, they're fun. They're I good. always end up. You know, they'll serve Danny me some calf fries or something. Uh, Here, Danny and this. Bobby Lee are, are are an example of of a local uh, ownership that now worldwide audience. But uh, they take care of people. They believe in Amarillo. You know, look at all the things with the music venue they have mm-hmm. now, and uh, they're progressive merchants. But they've they've never forgotten their roots uh, either, and where they come from. So they're they're great people. Okay, so that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Oh man, get your kids involved. Mm-hmm. If you're raising kids, get them out there. Get them in Scouts. Get them at Kids Inc. Get them in 4-H. Get them, get them outside, uh, outside the school, outside the cell phone, outside the computer. Push them to do something uh, that may be uncomfortable for them. That's new to them. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, basketball, judo. I, I don't. I can't tell you what it is. For every kid, it's something different. Auto mechanics, whatever it is. But I think uh, being around other adults um, is very important. Uh, and so many kids have so few adults in their life. I don't want to just endorse scouting because right. I'm a Rotarian, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I own the city, you know, I'm on the park and rec board, go out to the parks. Um, there's so many, Emerald has so much to offer, has a lot to offer, but you got you got to go out and do it. Right. It's not going to come to you. Right. Okay. Bob Altman, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, I appreciate more, it. I had more fun than you'll ever know. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Bob for the interview, also to StoryBridge, Pestex Pest Control, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting this podcast. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. It makes me feel good about working so hard on this content when I know that people are listening to it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts and telling their friends about it and talking to guests who they've heard on the podcast and saying, hey, I heard you on the show. That really does mean a lot to me. Uh, Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Cindy Graham, Wes Reeves, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jen Witten. This has been episode 341. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.